I've spent my entire life literally obsessed with the pursuit of excellence. Now, after decades of deep study and self-exploration into a wide array of rigorous training systems, nutrition methods, and mindset practices, I'm here to share my experiences as well as learn from others who also strive to reach the pinnacle of their pursuits. I'm Coach Jeremy Whitmore, and this is the Apex Approach. Welcome back, guys. This is the episode nine week things break of the Apex Approach. So I, I really don't remember a, a single chapter of my life where strength wasn't a major focus or, or factor, you know, as being a, being a young boy, and maybe this is typical of most or all young boys. And is it actually now if I'm coaching more girls wrestling, I, I even see it true in, um, young girls. Um, you know, it's just, you want to be strong, you know, you, you run up to, to your daddy and, and you flex or you show somebody, you know, your friend or a teacher that you can pick something up. And, you know, it's just so very, something very innate. And at least I know it was for me and a lot of, um, kids that I coach and certainly my, my own two boys, um, even, even, um, you know, not even leading them, you know, both of my boys were just <laughs> from the time they, they could put their feet on the ground, um, love strength and, and want to be strong. And so, you know, is a, is a, a very natural childhood instinct, you know, strength was just something that, um, I was, I was pretty obsessive about, you know, and then, uh, started wrestling obviously at a very young age and um, it's it's obviously pretty understandable that you know strength is a major component of of uh, that sport and the pursuit of um, getting a strength advantage um, was a, was a big piece of my life through my um, young childhood into my teens and you know making the transition then into fighting you know things just escalate there you, you know the, the the cost of of losing or being dominated um, while humiliating on a wrestling mat is, is absolutely terrifying in fighting. So I just think my um, that, that the pursuit of this of strength and um, achieving dominant um, strength capacities was was you know exponentially elevated in my life when, when I entered the, the fight world. Um, you know, then you know, transitioning out of out of my competitive you know MMA and wrestling careers. Professionally, I, I was, I'm a um, I'm a CSCS. I got that when I was still still in school, a certified strength conditioning specialist, um, and then um, obviously going on to to physical therapy. Um, it's a unfortunately, um, in my opinion, this is kind of a, a side note is uh, I think a undertrained and an underutilized facet of of modern day conventional physical therapy um, outside of ankle weights and pink dumbbells. And Theraband, um, we I think PT does a really good job of that. But uh, I think you know, few and far between, you find um, doctorates of physical therapy um, really exploring and, and executing um, proven scientific high levels of, of strength and conditioning performance. So I've I've tried to I've tried to be a, the, on the tip of the spear in those, and it's been just an absolute obsession for me personally and professionally for goodness. 35 plus years now and uh you know one of the core concepts that that i would say of of my life's work and certainly of this this apex approach 
manual that I'm trying to put together is I've I've been um, uh, using a tool with basically a, a mimic, you know. So when I when I was in high school, I'd say, okay, I look like this. I'm I'm kind of you know I'm, I'm built like this. I'm not a heavyweight. I I, I want to wrestle like this. This style makes sense. So who is the very best in the world at wrestling the way I want to manifest it? I've done the same thing in physical therapy, you know. So who is the best physical therapist? So I would, I would look out and, and reach out to, you know, guys like Kelly Starrett and uh, and others, and just and just you know, dig into their work and and try to mimic it. You know, stand on the shoulders of giants, and then over time, you you kind of keep what f- seems to make make most sense with your brand, um, and you you evolve it and you spin it and you make your own. I've done the same thing with coaching, fighting, and and wrestling. Um, you know, everything that I think I've been able to, to do well and achieve and, um, you know, get accolades with, it was, has been standing on the shoulders of the giants. You know, funny quote is, I, I didn't invent toilet paper, but I'm smart enough to use it. So it makes so much sense to me that whatever we're trying to do, soccer, baseball, physical therapy, school, what, some career you're trying to pursue, I highly recommend that you put in the time and effort and search who is who are some of the best in the world in your craft or what you want to achieve and a really good place to start is is by mimicking it and doing what they do and i say all that because i don't know when exactly i think it was probably 08 or 09 i tried to use that same uh, mindset that ideology to to find out, okay, who are the strongest dudes in the world and what are they doing? And maybe I could, you know, within that deep study, I could uh, I could learn some things and, and mimic and uh, do more than what I'm doing right now. And in that search, I uh, found out of a, of, a, of a guy named Louis Simmons of the West Side Barbell. Um who unfortunately recently passed, which was a, a massive loss to the to the world and the strength community. But um, if you don't know Louis Simmons, we'll certainly talk about him, I'm, I'm sure, a lot on this podcast. But um, do yourself a favor and and start st- studying him if you if you um, first want to be entertained, but two want an absolutely deep deep dive into strength training and his principles and how to create world class level strength for whatever it is that you're trying to utilize it for. And, uh, you know, his system that, that, you know, he also stood on the shoulders of giants, you know, the, the Eastern Europeans, the Russians, Iranians, Bulgarians. Uh, he created this conjugate system. A lot of people call this the West Side system, but really it's the, it's the conjugate system. And I used it. I used it personally. Uh, I use it now coaching, both in wrestling and fighting. I've used it um, to program for crossfitters and powerlifters. And strong and strongman athletes that I've worked with over the past decade and a half of my professional career, um, and it is without a doubt, it is in my opinion, the single greatest strength training system that exists. If you if you and, they, and I have done a lot of them, starting strength and five three one and uh, Western periodization models, and um, I've done a lot. You know, I've, I've I haven't been biased. I have I have 
if it exists, I've probably did it um, at some point in the last 30 plus years. And it's certainly it's my opinion, but it's the one that, that if you want to put a brand of strength training into the apex approach, it's the conjugate system by Westside, um, Louis' brainchild that I, I, I use. I use it with, with PT patients and athletes alike. And uh, wanted to bring in a guy who um, has gone way deeper than I ever did, has a much, much deeper uh, understanding and, and comprehension to the West Side system and conjugate. Um, he's a, actually a, a colleague of mine and, and an old friend, Chase Conley. So Chase is here with us today. Chase, is just give you a little background. Um, Chase and I first met, my goodness, Chase. Uh, 2008, I believe. There you go. So Chase came into the notorious old school uh, MMA Institute in Harrisonburg, which was an absolutely old school, savage mixed martial arts gym. Um, pretty rough days in there, huh, Chase? We were. Uh, yeah, man. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Uh, don't make them like that place anymore, for sure. Probably a good thing <laughs> that that they don't. But um, Chase was he was our token high school kid. He he was the only one. I don't know if he was if it was um, dumb enough, tough enough. Um, had the largest testicles of any high school kid in there. Like, but Chase was the only high school kid that came to that gym and stayed. We had others, right? Very few came back for, for number two. I don't know if any came back for number three. Chase was with us for, for several years, right? Uh, yeah. Um, the, uh, the remainder of the time at the warehouse gym, so that must have been about two years. And then additional, I don't know, two or three years after that when we bounced locations. But, yeah, I was there for – from ninth grade to eighth grade, actually, until I was 19 or so. So, yeah, quite a, quite a while, a lot of history of that place. Yeah, Chase was, uh, I mean, he was a boy among men, and just to, to anybody that would could come into that environment and, and have any type of longevity in it is um, earns everybody respect. And to that as a high school kid, Chase, you are um, legend, man, absolute legend. Uh, I do want to say he's given me a lot of credit. There was a lot of ass weapons in there. <laughs> <laughs> I do appreciate the kind words, but uh, yeah, it was a good time. Well, even more so, you took you took your ass beat and, and you came back, right? So that's uh, th there's testament to that. Um, and then you know Chase went and, and, and actually uh, it'd be be good to hear his story from his, but I know he he went to the military for a while, and um, I kind of lost touch with Chase, and um, my goodness, we kind of randomly bumped each other in in a little town called Elkton. We're down in a, in a park. I was doing some. Uh, CrossFit workout or something, and um, Chase was running. I think barefooted, like at like, not minimalist shoes, like actual barefoot, barefoot, actual barefoot. Because I had problems. Uh, I was training for a for a marathon, and uh, um, I was experimenting with minimalist running, and I'd heard of barefoot running, and I took it a little too literally. But yeah, that's <laughs> that was a good time too. Yeah, so we bumped each other, and we're like. Dude, it's you. Dude, it's you. And uh, we were both too savage to actually stop our workout. So it was like, we can, uh, we'll, we'll talk We'll talk later. I got pull-ups to do. Chase has mounts to run over with his bare feet. Um, but um, being back in the area, uh, you know, and knowing Chase was around, we, we kind of reconnected there. And then when um, here about 10 months ago, 11 months ago now, I guess, when we, we opened up Radius Physical Therapy and Sports Performance, 
you know, I had an idea of, you know, the, the traditional PT model for um, outpatient ortho, like, sports clinics is you got, you can, like, there's PTs and there's PTAs, so physical therapy assistants, and then oftentimes we use, like, aids and techs, um, which, you know, typically you know, they're washing tables and, you know, grabbing ankle weights and just kind of helping people on and off. And, you know, I, I had an idea that I wanted to, you know, just – change that model a little bit you know i, I want to to work with higher level you know athletes and and functional fitness enthusiasts and uh, one just just do pt better and uh you know i had heard that you know chase was kind of not super happy with uh, his profession that he landed in after the military and, and computer work and it and he was um had started a, a power lifting um, gym out of his garage and, uh, you know, I was like, you know what, the, the idea of a strength coach makes a lot of sense to me to, to bring on. So, Chase, you came on Radius. When was that? Uh, February 15th. There you go. And it's been awesome. Um, he has made such an impact. And I don't know if I could ever go back to, the, to having a quote, unquote, like normal tech again. He's, he spoiled me. And um, he just fits in our system and our culture so good. But um, So that's Chase. But really, Chase – I'm, I'm quite curious, man, um, you know, between all the different things that you've done athletically and professionally, you know, how did your strength journey start? When did you start to get so obsessive and, and interested in that being a professional strength trainer? Um, so I've always done uh, I've sort of been nomadic is what I like to say about my um, physical fitness journey. Um, it all started really at the Old MMA Institute, um, like you said, um, with fighting and you know boxing a little bit around the same time and I've just always been uh just interested in the different aspects of fitness uh you know I got obsessed with yoga for a year or so like I said I've, I did the whole marathon training thing um dabbled in just you know like bro bodybuilding just seeing as how big I could get for a while but like I said I was very nomadic and nothing ever seemed to stick um but then my sister of all people uh came to me in uh I guess October of last year and you know I had my home gym at the time which is nothing like it is now but we had a squat rack and some bars and some really cheap cap weights that weren't calibrated right and uh whatever but <laughs> Heather uh came to me and she was like hey uh I'm, I'm gonna do a powerlifting meet and I was like oh wow that's awesome and yeah are you gonna coach me and I was like yeah I guess uh I'll try I mean so that's sort of my introduction to it um, was just nothing, nothing planned. Just, you know, I've always been the person when somebody close to me needs help with something, uh, I, you know, I, I do it. So, um, yeah, with Heather, uh, we just, I, I'd always done 531, you know, whenever I want to do like a strength, I guess you should say block or wave, um, you know, back in my own lifting days. So I started her there and I said that's pretty much the standard, I would say, with novice lifters, 531's a great place to start. Um, and we really did, with her, we really did 531 all the way up until uh, her first meet. But um, somewhere along the way, uh, I just got obsessed. And, you know, kind of like what you said, hey, what are the strongest like men and women in the world doing to get strong? Because I'm not too bright, I guess. I'm not the brightest guy in the world. But if somebody's done it, then you'd be, you know, egotistical to not try to do the same thing. So that led me to 
you know, the conjugate system in Westside Barbell and really just, I kind of, like you mentioned before, I have a background in computers and uh, information technology. My obsessive numbers brain was kind of perfect for conjugate, I guess, uh, because it really, you can really sink your teeth into the percentages and the different methods and how they work and bar speeds and it just goes on and on, uh, joint angle, whatever. And I just pretty much lived and uh, lived in the trenches with, with the conjugate system for six months. Uh, didn't, like I swear, I didn't listen to music on the way to work. I was listening to the West Side Barbell podcast. Uh, I didn't watch Netflix before bed. I was reading the Book of Methods or, uh, you know, one of Dude, the you've read books. you've read all the books. I've read <laughs> I've read every West Side book, and I'm trying to take down every book that's on Louis Simmons's uh, recommended reading, and plus some that I've came across on my own. You know, so really, I just lived in it for six months, and I kind of still live in it to be honest. But I don't uh, I don't see bands and chains in my sleep anymore, so it's not. Quite he doesn't kind of still live in it. Like it, like every time that he's at the office, and he's he's not like actively needed to be working with a patient. I can guarantee you. I look over to the desk, and he has his nose in one of the the West Side books, and he's highlighting it and underlining it. I mean, it's it's constant. You are you are full send into the the material. Yeah, I uh, I would definitely say I'm a student of the game. Um, but yeah. Yeah. So, um, part of the, I don't know. That the biggest obstacle that when you start talking to people about the West Side system conjugate, and you, and you give it a quick Google, it it comes across as not being very user friendly, okay? Because it does it does takes a little bit of homework and um, some research, and I think it's it can a lot of people are lost when you start looking at it. You're like, My goodness, and there's this this and what's a pendulum wave and 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 this and that, and I need this bar and that bar and what's the repetition versus max effort and dynamic and it's it's it is I mean it, it is comprehensive. I think I think at first complicated, um, but a big part of kind of what I want to bring on Chase here and, and hope between him and me we can do today is boil the system down to make it as user friendly as possible so that anybody listening to this can take it and not be so intimidated or overwhelmed by like all the data and the. The numbers and the joint angles and all those things that Chase just mentioned, and just start to be able to use the concepts because I, I firmly believe that it is the the most superior way to strength train any human for uh, any outcome outside of bodybuilding. Period. So, you know, Chase, if you could, you know, um, take your nerd brain out for a minute and and um, Tell somebody if you had to just explain like what is conjugate um, as simply as possible. Like, how would you do that? So what it all comes down to is conjugate is the idea or the method. I would say the method of training all factors of strength simultaneously. And what that basically means is you know anybody who's listening to this who's an athlete who has followed any strength conditioning program, you can probably your, your program probably looks something like this. Um, you spend you know early off season. Uh, working on a you know base of strength, and then you know maybe a quarter of the year later or so, you start you know start your power phase. That's like for your football players, start doing their Olympic lifting type stuff in most places. And then you know right before the season, you start your conditioning, 
and that will probably continue into the season, but that's usually how it, you do everything in waves or stages, I would say. So yeah, it's periodization, right? Yeah, different, you know, we're on a hypertrophy block or a strength block or power block, whatever. Um, with conjugate, the idea is that you train the different aspects of strength concurrently. So you are constantly raising your absolute strength, um, you're constantly raising your speed and power, and you're constantly either maintaining or building muscle, depending on your sport. You know, you, you're wrestlers and fighters, you obviously don't want to build a bunch of muscle, you're trying to stay in a weight class, but you're keeping your, your foundation um, consistently high. Uh, throughout throughout your year and throughout each training cycle, so that's really what it boils down to. Is with conjugate, you're uh, you're constantly bringing up your work capacity and your and your strength in all areas. Yeah, and where this kind of clicked for me um, in the two sports that I I guess I'm was most involved with was you know for the MMA guys, wins are season. You know, so coming from like the very conventional strength and like CSCS model that that I had lived in and like the traditional, you know, Western pyramidization, you know, it's it's very much about peaking. And so when I, you know, got into MMA and then really like kind of took on the role as a strength coach there at the Harrison Marine Institute, I'm like, well, first of all, you, you got, you know, we got 19 different guys in here. They're all going to be fighting in different times. And so how do you run the, a gym program? when there's people peaking at different times and then the way it like the real talk of fighting is yeah yeah when you get up to like the high levels and your belt or ufc strike force that type of stuff you, you're going to be much more on a regular schedule or know exactly when you're going to fight but for the for everybody else you know, amateurs and lo lower level regional pros like you're just looking for opportunities so you may fight you know tonight and then you know you may pick one up in three weeks or maybe you're in camp and all of a sudden you get a phone call that you know you had a short notice fight so the whole peaking um process or system that that kind of got thrown out for me because like this is not going to work for at least for not the, the gym if i have to start programming this so that, that was a problem and then what i found personally and with coaching with wrestling is we would get the athletes you know strong and we'd, we'd start in November, you know, good to go. And, dude, by, by March, second week of March from the state tournament, is that, like, they're weaker. They're, they're, now, their they're, cardio can be through the roof, but they were definitely, if you, if you strength tested them, they were significantly, and I was significantly less strong. So, that, you know, that, that, I guess peaking can, has its place. And we can still peak somebody like like Chase. When you um, train your your powerlifting team, you can still peak with conjugate, right? Right. Yeah. They definitely have. Uh, well, there is definitely uh, a peaking protocol um, for conjugate. Um, you know, whether you do circumax or just you know a more modern um, peaking phase, but the it's not much different than what you would do for your normal gym day. So like, for example, uh, let's say where, you know, we're going to do a powerlifting meet, maybe five weeks out of uh, the competition, we might put the box away for three days a week, two days a week, what have you, just so you can get your squat form down. Um, you know, get used to squatting, toning your technique, you know, learn how to use the, the strength that you've built for the last however many waves and weeks and apply it to your, you know, your raw, you know, free squat 
and stuff of that nature. Um, but really, the, without getting into the numbers, the peaking uh, phase of a conjugate program is not as different the, um, from the everyday week-to-week -week program as in many other strength programs. Yeah. So to come back and start to actually make it a little more practical, you say we train the different types of, of, of strength. So um, I guess very in the more simplistic statement, there are heavy slash slow days, although Louis said no one no one ever lifted a heavyweight slow, right? Yeah. Um, and then there's the dynamic dynamic effort days, speed days. Right. So um, take me through, you know, okay, I'm listening to this. This sounds interesting, okay? Um, what does my the, the traditional standard west side workout look like? day one what is what is that athlete going to be going to be doing um so or first week first month so the first thing i want to kind of clarify here because this confused me as, as, uh, for a very long time um with your max effort day i try to avoid uh saying slow and speed day um because to me dynamic day is like speed day but it's like based on speed day so like depending on what kind of wave we're doing like if we're doing a you know, a more grindy wave, um, working on slower strength, that will still be done on dynamic day. Um, so on max effort day, what it comes down to is you're just going to perform a max effort lift as the core lift. So just to make it simple, we'll just say you're a power lifter and it's Monday, your first day of the week. So we're going to max out some form of lower body lift that day, uh, be it a pull, uh, a squat, just anything for the lower body will be maxed out that day. Um, it can be a box squat, free squat, four inch pull, six inch pull, true deadlift, whatever. You'll do that first and you'll do it up to a one rep max. Hopefully you set a new PR. We tend to set PRs pretty often. I can't remember the last time somebody didn't break a PR on a Monday, but uh, that's what you do for your first lift. What comes after that? Side note, because we hear this all the time. <laughs> if you have not broken a strength PR in two years, one year, six months, and you're give me a call yeah well <laughs> and you have not sustained a horrific orthopedic injury or disease and you're not an olympian level strength athlete there's that's a problem correct correct all right um carry on <laughs> so immediately after the max effort lift um we do what uh this is something that, you know, that real West Side has phased in and out, and some, some of them have done it during certain, you know, if you look through the literature, uh, some, some the groups of years it's been there, some it hasn't. The one that we've seen tremendous success with is the idea of a supplementary lift or a, uh, a main accessory, you could call it, a primary accessory. So one of the biggest critiques of the, uh, of the West Side system, the West Side conjugate system, is that for new lifters or uh, maybe ungeared lifters, lifters not um, partaking yeah, defi in. Define gear. Uh, both. Uh, the, the powerlifting gear as in like, you know, bench shirt, uh, bench shirt, squat suit, deadlift suit, and also actual gear like uh, performance enhancing drugs. You know, one of the, any program that. Shout out Liver King. <laughs> any program, any strength program that's uh, like a high intensity, low volume tends to be criticized for not being effective for natural lifters. So something that we do is we add a, a supplementary exercise. So let's say our max effort lift, we just did a, a front squat for one RM. 
We'll immediately after that, we'll do something in a three to six set, uh, three to eight rep range. Um, that's just a similar movement, but not identical for volume. So you might drop to say, you do your front squat, max effort, and then you put on your safety squat bar and do three sets of three to six, just for your volume. And that'll be at, you know, 80% uh, and up. We'll usually say if you get six reps or if you get the high end of the rep range for the day, then add five pounds or 10 pounds and do that for your next one. Um, so those are your first two lifts. And then after that, we do uh, what Westside methodology would call the repetition method, which is used to bring up like weaknesses, uh, lagging muscle groups, et cetera. So say you have uh, you know, somebody who's just got a really weak posterior chain on a Monday, which is, if you're listening to this, uh, it's probably you. It's probably the most common thing that we spend time correcting in the gym is hamstrings and glutes. 98% of the time. Yeah. Uh, so for most people, that ends up being exercises to bring up just the general robustness and strength overall of your hamstring, glute, lower back. Uh, same thing with upper body. Um, not there yet, but with upper body, it's always a posterior chain, upper back. Um, so that's what the typical training day would look like. So we usually get, you'll get your main exercise in, your max effort, you'll get your supplementary exercise in, and then depending on fitness levels, how new you are to lifting, um, and just volume, fatigue, whatever, anywhere from two to four, or even five in some cases, um, accessories afterwards to bring up your lagging muscle groups. Yeah, and max effort, Chase, that's not always a, a true one RM, is that correct? Correct, so the max effort method always refers to a one rep max, but on max effort day, you can also use the sub max effort method, which once we get into, I'm sure we'll get into at some point, you know, how to do conjugate with limited equipment and without all these fancy bars. Uh, the submax effort method would just be the same thing, but keep track of a PR from like three to five reps. So you might work up to a, a back squat triple and try to beat your best three rep max of all time. Uh, and, and I actually do that a lot with um, combat sport athletes as well, you know, so um, versus, you know, on our max effort day, it all it more typically being a true one in Chase's world who's who's training competitive powerlifters. Um, I have leaned towards and actually found quite a bit of success doing like three rep maxes and five rep maxes, um, just because we need like just the nature of the sport. You know, if we're if we're lifting to not necessarily compete in lifting, and some of these other, like we need sustained high rep power, um, but. We do, like, all athletes, you know, at some point, in, it's, it's kind of a loaded statement, need to be lifting full effort, right? Would, would, you, would you say? I can't think of, a, of an athlete off the top of my head that could not benefit from that, no. So everybody, yes. So now, the elephant in the room is what? Okay, when you start talking about anybody, like, what is the typical, you know, high school strength coach is going to say, we don't want to do – or you get a personal trainer in, you know, the Globo Gym. But we don't want to do max effort, one rep max is because why, Chase? Uh, somebody will get hurt. Somebody will get hurt, dude. <laughs> All right, which is one of many things we're going to say weak things break. Correct. Okay. But, okay, talk about that. What is your, I guess, your, your uh, you listen, you get, we, we work with eighth graders, weak kids, you know, kids that are coming back from, from injuries. Um and we get kids doing one, one rep maxes 
all the time, even older people in, in, in radius with success. Ain't nobody get injured yet. True story. True story. Actually, everybody leaves, hopefully, way better than a version of themselves better, or yeah. almost everybody, right? <laughs> so um, which, why is that? What is your, your thoughts on, okay, why is maxing out dangerous and what are kind of the nuances in, in that statement? So the, uh, at, the lo- at that level, um, you know, like your high school coaches or even, you know, some college coaches saying that you shouldn't max out. Um, like you said, I think that comes down to a lot of, you know, you have weak links that are going to break. So, you know, you think about your rotator cuff, if you're doing a max effort bench press uh, and you have a compromised, like, stability in your rotator cuff, you're probably going to tear rotator cuff once you get up with those heavy weights. Um, so that's, with that, at that level, that is definitely uh, a concern. But I think that that's a reflection of the programming. Um, you could probably max out more without injury if you, um, you know, built robustness to prepare for that. Um, I, I think that it's a, it's a problem that I think a lot of like your high school athlete coaches can't solve is like when we max out, we get injured. So they're just like, let's just not do it because it hurts people. And they don't take the time to think of like why, or maybe they haven't taken the time to look into systems that have been able to do that and not hurt people. And why can't they do it? And, or why can they do it? But we can't, um, I do think that it really comes down to just the general robustness of your overall, you know, biomechanical system. If you have a weak link, it's going to break when you max out. Um, and we can get into, we could get into deeper stuff too, like maxing out the same exercise too often um, can also cause injury. Uh, that's why conjugate, you know, rotates exercises. Um, but yeah, it's, yeah. So do you think is, you know, just thinking out loud here, you know, you have a new lifter, you know, what then would, um, but what prerequisite would you need to perform even before starting conjugate? Would you start somebody in conjugate and just you would start with the threes and the fives that and versus the ones, you know, for someone that's, you know, just getting into the system, you know, what would your advice or would you advocate for us in, in terms of this max effort method? Um, so for our new, for it, at my gym, for our new, uh, new lifters, we tend to stay away from the one arm at first because not only is it it is dangerous at that point because you somebody, the person doesn't know how to do it, but it's kind of redundant because with new lifters, uh, you know they're going to get stronger every week, maybe three weeks tops. So that one rep max that you put them under, just with correcting form and you know just ad, like central nervous system adaptation, that one rep max is going to be a lifetime ago in two weeks. Um, now, I do maybe have them do uh, a near rep max just to build like a training max. Um, you know, like you take a new like eighth grade football player, ninth grade football player, and you want to see how many times they can do 95 with decent form and then use just a simple one rep max calculator to maybe take that to 125 and then use that for their numbers and what we're going to base their, their system off of. Um, that's something that we do more frequently with newer people. Um, and another thing that we do as well uh, with starting conjugate is I tend to stay away from introducing specialty bars really early because I don't want to have you do your bench press on this Wednesday. And then next Wednesday, it's like, all right, man, you're still trying to figure out what you were doing last week, but here's this bow bar. <laughs> so uh, we tend to stay away from the specialty bars for uh, six to nine weeks, depending on you know the, how... Uh, just case-by-case case basis, um, and 
we don't really test like a true max for any lift, I would say, uh, with any meaningful consideration until also about six to nine weeks. After about nine weeks of any pro training program is usually when you start to see like the newbie gains, as they call them, start to die down a little bit. Um, so at that point, we can start getting, you know, relevant numbers. Yeah, I think something you, both you and me have done, sounds like in, in the past, of, you know, I, I think I told you, I, I ran five, I would run 5-3-1 with like any new athlete or a, if a client came up to me and said, hey, I want you to program my strength training, you know, almost one is, hey, I need to test your diligence and your consistency. And two, if you haven't been lifting at all, like just go do 5-3-1. And I always found like people would do really well for two or three cycles of that. And then it always had people would plateau or get close to plateaus and you would lose like the, the speed of progress. And then I would, it would kind of switch them over. So I've, I've, you've, I think as you've done that as well in the past. Yeah, we've actually, uh, we've got a new, um, excuse me, that pizza you gave me is coming, trying to come up. <laughs> the, uh, we have a, a, a woman coming to the gym now who's, who just started, uh, I believe, last Monday, and we're actually, we have her on almost like a 5-3-1, I guess you could say, and it, it, almost accidentally, like a 5-3-1 conjugate hybrid, like her max effort on Monday is like a, our last Monday was like a five rep squat, and then, you know, this past Monday it was uh, a three rep squat, mm -hmm. and we probably won't do a one RM squat on Monday, but we'll do, you know, something that's about 90% or higher for maybe a double. If it ends up being a single, she misses the second maybe, but yeah, like, Really, you can get really far early on just waving volume like that, and it just so happens that the way it's turned out with you know some of our novices that you can kind of wave the max effort of five three one alongside conjugate. Mm -hmm. So you can do your Mondays, you're doing your squat. Wednesday will do your bench. You know we don't really do the shoulder press part portion of it as much, and the deadlift we use is more of a supplementary. But uh, yeah, you know they they both they're both wave based programs. Um, and it was no mystery where 531 came from. Jim Winler was a West Sider, you know. So 531, you know, five week, three week, one week, deload week, that's a four week wave. If you look at conjugate, it's a three week wave. So it's kind of easy to see where that came from. Yeah. So, you know, is am I correct in saying Louis said the max effort method is the single greatest method of strength training that exists? You are correct. Okay. Um, yeah, that's not for me, that's from, from the man himself. Um, you know, and as is it, if I bias more towards my physical therapy brain and, you know, coach of young kids brain, like you, you there is like there's concern that when you start putting, you know, heavy shit in people's hands on their backs or pull them off the floor that you're going to have some sort of catastrophic in injuries to your point. Like the mindset's been, OK, well, we're just going to because we are just so intolerant to risk and um, we're going to just avoid it and maybe try to live in this world of mediocrity versus Okay, figuring the problem out and trying to trying to chase greatness because um, clearly if you can figure that out, now they got what thirty years plus or more of Westside training to show that they create some of the absolute strongest humans on earth and in a wide variety of sports. But you know, I would say ideally speaking, you know, technique is such an important part when you start to go, especially max effort. Super overlooked in today's strength and conditioning world as well. Ridiculously overlooked, you wouldn't believe. Like, how many people um, come in to the clinic, Chase? And we, and I make we make everybody squat. Like, if if you have anything that hurts on you or is a problem from your 
chest to your feet, I'm probably going to ask to see your squat. How many of those people um, squat really pretty? Not many. Um, and he's Some, not he's not lying. You might not many. Yeah, he's not lying. Everybody that comes in that clinic squats. <laughs> so, because what we use it as a diagnostic tool, right? I, I can pick up so much from from just watching a, a body weight or even a light loaded squat. So if you're if the the average person comes in with um, some is horrific, but you know, lots of problems that typically get best case scenario, and then you you max load that movement. You know, that's the, there's real orthopedic con- concern. So, do you think it's it's you know for somebody thinking about getting into and using the conjugate system? Now, what are your thoughts? You you think somebody can you know come off the couch and enter that enter that program even with a maybe like a modified five three one to start without a coach or is Getting somebody that has experience and knows what they're doing to to supervise you early on is is that an absolute must or what do you think? Um, so at the end of the day, it is a system. Um, I do. I honestly believe that uh, anyone of any fitness level can do some sort of conjugate program. It's just by the way the system is designed. You know, the reason it works for so many types of athletes, uh, all types of sports, is because it's so scalable and adaptable to any to any need. Um, with that being said, uh, it is a system. So if you're gonna just come off the couch and say, "Hey, I want to do conjugate," it's like anything else. Um, you uh, you have to do your homework. You know, you have to at least you know watch some videos, learn how to lift. You know, you can't. You can definitely do conjugate coming off the couch in the same way that you can do any form of weight training coming off the couch. You just have to start somewhere. You have to do a little bit of homework and uh, not just decide today I'm going to do conjugate and then tomorrow get stapled to 315 on your chest under under a bar at your local fitness gym. It's just, you definitely have to have a decent understanding and build your base with the conjugate system for sure. There's something else I just thought of Chase and take them back to my experience and in this and the different worlds that I've lived in, you know, when you, when you start training in ways and using methods that are, um, I don't know, more, um, tip of the spear type stuff you know more more intense more savage like you know the other things in your life too have to be so much more dialed in like i can go to the gym and do some bicep curls and some sit-ups and you know not stay well hydrated or have a crappy diet and and not sleep well and and you're not going to certainly you're not going to get the most out of that program either right but if you're doing something like conjugate and you are also not just taking basic care of the other aspects of your of your life, your diet, your your um, your sleep, your managing your your alcohol content, your stress, you know all the other things that we know that are so important. Um, I think you're playing with fire. I agree 100. percent Especially you know uh, when you're working with those. First of all, not even we've only really scratched with max effort. It's max effort, yeah, and that's tough. You know, getting under heavy things has the potential to hurt you. It does, um, but that's not even taking into account how much just additional volume there is. Like, there's so much volume in a conjugate system as well. So you're not when you're not lifting heavy, you're lifting a lot, and if you're not, uh, you're not. It's not one of the. It's not like a system where it's like. This is going to get into RPE and stuff. I'm not really trying to go there, but it's not one of those things where you show up and it's like, how do I feel today? It's like. You're lifting the weight, <laughs> so if you're not doing uh, the you know the stuff that you need to do, whether it's the mobility work or the uh, 
getting getting the right amount of sleep, if you're you know going home after our Friday dynamic effort leg day, which is the heaviest volume day of the week, and then you decide that you're going to get you know just trashed on Friday night, you know you're not going to you're, you're going to get hurt, or at worst you're going to get hurt, and at best you're not going to see good results. So yeah, 100%. Everything has to be dialed in outside of uh, outside of the gym. Um, it's definitely not. Uh, it's not a system to do if you aren't willing to go 100%. If, you, if, you're, if you're one foot in your sport, one foot out your sport, or you're not really trying to be competitive and not trying to do all the right things outside of the gym, then it might not be the system for you, I would say. Yeah, agreed. So we have, so let's say, let's call it Monday. So Monday, we it's a, a max effort uh, lower body, Correct. right? Which will be, um, to, to Chase's point, it's gonna be some sort of a heavy squat variation um, or a heavy pull, correct? Right, um, and then followed by some supplementary uh, lifts, um, and then Tuesday. What, what are we doing Tuesday? Um, so for us, really, uh, Tuesday, I stress mobility. To, to what you just said, uh, Tuesday is like the day where it's like, hey, uh, find some time today to do some sort of active recovery. Uh, stretch your hip flexors. You know, foam roll. Uh, cross ball smash, whatever you can do. Um, I mean, maybe if you really want to go there, you could pull a sled or something, uh, just a light, really light sled, just get some blood flow. But really, Tuesday and Tuesdays and Thursdays are really just uh, like primarily recovery days. Uh, we don't really do any in gym training Tuesdays and Thursdays. It's mostly a four week or a four day, sorry, four day split week. So okay, then, then um, check active recovery. Then we go to Wednesday, all right, so uh, Monday max effort lower, lower body, Wednesday is what? Uh, max effort upper body, so this is the day that we max out uh, some sort of press, so a bench press, overhead press, some sort of variation, pin press, board press, um, to one rep, or if you're using submaximal effort for injury reasons or, um, you know, the before listed reasons of being, you know, new to it three to five rep max, um, just some sort of press. And then for our supplementary on uh, Wednesday, I usually like to get volume at the place where the individual needs it. So that's usually not really a uniform thing. Like on Monday, on Monday, usually the supplementary and max effort is the same for everybody. On Wednesday, we'll all do the same max effort. But you know, if you have somebody who's got like lagging triceps, we'll, uh, you know, do maybe some close grip two board or JM press. Uh, if you have somebody who's just got lagging shoulders, we might do overhead press. Um, you have a little more freedom on Wednesday with your supplementary exercise because you're only really in, speaking as a power, from a powerlifting perspective, you're only training one lift. On Monday, you sort of have to train the squat and the deadlift. On Wednesday, there's only one lift, so you, you kind of have a little more freedom with planning your supplementary. And then uh, for accessory work, like same thing with lower body, just 99% of the time, got to train the upper back. Um, I'm sure that you've seen this in physical therapy throughout your career. You know, how many times does a guy come in with huge anterior delts, huge chest, big triceps? Yeah, I hurt myself going for 300 for the whatever time and you, no upper back strength. Um, I, I, I forget exactly who said Every it. Every time. <laughs> I forget exactly who said it, but one of my favorite quotes, uh, it's probably Louie, who knows? Uh, one of my favorite quotes is, you know, I've seen a lot of guys with big legs be bad squatters. I've seen a lot of guys with big pecs have shitty benches, but I've never seen a guy with a big back have bad anything. So, yeah, it, it, 
you see that in the combat sports world. You, you would, I don't know when that realization came to me. You know, but you you see you see a homeboy walk by you, you know, with a jacked up back, and you're like, oh no, <laughs> the cobra back. You know, it's not it's not the big chest. You know, like the the magazine guys that that are intimidating. You know, like some of the most absolutely ferociously strong, terrifying people that I've had put their hands on me, or like bird chested. With these big, like, like their hips connect to like their elbows, like, yeah. like those lats that come down. The big, like, like it looks like golf balls on their back. Yeah. It's horrific. Um, and they're daggone bullet, like seem to be daggone bulletproof. You know, to like um, shoulders, necks, low backs. You know, it's all that stuff is just you know keeping things durable and the, and the mechanics more solid. And yeah, man, it's 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 good stuff. Yeah, we also. Uh, we do spend a lot of time too, particularly if somebody's got a weak lockout or maybe like a body type that calls for it. You know, lanky, longer arms. We could. We also spend a lot of time hammering triceps. Um, but so Chase, you keep like you you keep giving us examples of all these these deficits, which is the world that I lived in professionally. That's literally all I do all day is someone comes in to have a problem, and then I go in like to Terminator mode. Where my computer starts, and I'm, I'm just looking for these deficits. I'm like, oh, they're okay. They're um, pecs are tight. They got rounded shoulders positioning. Their middle trap, lower trap is is weak. They're winging. You know, so you start to go through all these different biomechanical assessments and how I'm gonna, you know, how things are tied together and how am I gonna fix this? And you start putting, like that's what what I do. And obviously, I'm 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 assessing that as a trained physical therapist. You're clearly you hear your chases just examples of what he's saying. You all these. Um, diagnostics that the chase is running how does someone that it's how does bobby okay that walks into the gym this starting the system how does he know that he has a deficit in x y or z well it's your glutes and your hamstrings and it's your upper back oh no but seriously um you have to be honest with yourself and this is where i uh this is like one of the biggest mistakes that you see with people who want to do a conjugate system is they you see uh, this program where you get to do all these different exercises and all these different accessories and a lot of people just want it to they want to do the stuff that's fun and the stuff that they like and the stuff that they're good at because you get to kind of scratch yourself on the back or pat yourself on the back with that um, but you have to be honest with yourself um, it's like dude if you have a weak upper back or if you don't know you have a weak upper back how many pull-ups can you do that might not directly transfer to a barbell, but just for the average Joe, you know, if you can't do, if you're, a, if you're, if you're in shape and not carrying a lot of excess body fat, if you can't do 12, maybe pull-ups, you got a weak upper back. Yeah. I've heard a lot of, um, strength coaches that are like the you know, division one professional level and they're way smarter than me and way, um, more experienced. Um, this guy actually was, was a, a wrestling coach at, at, um, a big 10 school say that, he wants even the heavyweights. So these are 275 pound behemoths. Dude. Everyone should be able to do 10 pull-ups. I would agree with that. Yeah, that's uh, it's definitely a that's a good standard. Um, anybody who's, like I said, not carrying uh, a bunch of body fat, which you shouldn't be, anyways. Um, yeah, you should. I think everybody. I think it's a good, it's a good standard for 95% of the populace is you know 10 pull-ups. Um, and then you know like other stuff like. Uh, if you're walking around with tight hamstrings and you stretch them all the time and it never seems to go away, probably got weak hamstrings. 
Um, yeah. Well, you got a weak ass. A weak ass, is, yeah. Is what, you, what you got. Weak ass disease. You, you get that, that wad, boy, a weak <laughs> ass disease. Yeah, so you really just have to be honest with it. Like, if you suck at it, this is my general rule of thumb. When you're, if, you're by, if you're on your own, you're like, how do I pick my accessories for my, my conjugate system if you're over there taking notes? If you suck at it, do more of it. If you can't stand doing front squats because it feels like your quads are going to blow off and you just don't like it, well, guess what? Do front squats. If you, if you, can't, if you don't like doing tricep extensions because they just make you so sore, uh, well, you know, do more skull crushers. Like, that's really what it comes down to is, like, if you just take the time to pay attention to yourself when, you go, when you're in the gym and when you recover, mindfully pay attention to yourself and stop looking at, like, what the program you got off of bodybuilding.com says to do this exercise, so you're going to do that. Well, pay attention to how stuff makes you feel. And you sh it'll, it'll, it'll be pretty apparent, you know, what you need to work on, um, especially if you suck at it. Yeah, I started doing that, I think, towards the end of my fight career. Um, I had this awful, like, this demon in my head that would come up with, like, a, an exercise or use, like, a workout that would be, like, absolutely horrific for me. Like, it would be, like, all the worst things. And then, like... I would try not to think about it because my rule was if I thought about something that I didn't want to do, I had to do it that day, um, which is probably makes me insane. But and so then I would try to spend most of my day not trying to think about the things that I didn't want to do. So I've always hated running, and I, I just to resonate with that, yeah, I, uh, same thing with me. When I started training, uh, running a lot uh, a year or so ago, every time that I made up an excuse for why I could skip my run that day, I made a rule that I had to do the run within, I had to start the run within 15 minutes. So uh, I got really good at looking forward to running. <laughs> yeah, we're creatures of comfort. Okay, Bob, I've already talked about this on, on a couple of podcasts. Like, I mean, we, there's evolutionary reasons for it, and just the, again, we're uh, we're all of us are getting progressively softer and um, body, mind, and spirit. But it's it's you, you, we will most of us will default to things that we're good at and make us feel good, and things that we want to do. And the reality is that. Um, you, you, the things to Chase's point, the things that you're that you hate doing, as opposed to you're probably not very good at them, which means it's a it's a weak point. So you know, dude, suck it up, Buttercup, and start spending much more time doing the things that you don't enjoy doing, because that is your weakness, and we things break. So Thursday we're back to active recovery. Yes, sir. Okay, now we're back training again Friday. Friday is the hardest. Most fun day of the week. So on Friday, we do our vol. Uh, our, it's dynamic effort day, lower body. Um, so we'll train, uh, you know, our squat and deadlift. Um, this is getting into the numbers a little bit. We're trying to keep it simple, but uh, we have two basic rep schemes that we follow. Uh, we do a five by five or a twelve by two. This all depends on whether or not we need a higher intensity or um, you know, more force development at the time. So 12 by two is a very explosive uh, rep scheme, 12 sets of two squats that you really are just focusing on doing two reps real fast, all the way down, all the way up on whatever squat variation it is, focusing on just making that bar move as fast as possible. Now with our five by fives, we sort of rotate that in just periodically um, just to avoid the law of accommodation, which I'm sure we will not have to get into. But uh, just to mix up the day. So we'll do the same same load, same mentality. You're just doing it for five sets of five. And you know that fifth rep, uh, the bar's gonna start to slow down. So we never wanna do more than that. Um, but you get the same amount, you get roughly the same amount of squats. You know, 12 by two, you get 24. Five by five, you get 25. So it's the same volume, that does not change. Um, 
load is kept anywhere between 75 and 85% of your one rep max, um, depending on which week you're in. You know, week one, 75, week two, 80%, week three, 85%. And then uh, with no break, we usually nine times out of 10 already have the bar set up. You just go right over your deadlift when you finish your squats. Um, for our deadlift, we 95% of the time do 10 sets of two, 10 doubles. Um, sometimes we'll... And you're doing these with, I mean, full, full pot. You're not giving just enough strength to get it you are, out. Yeah. You're, you're trying to jump through the flipping roof, yeah, you're, right? You're, every rep on dynamic effort day, you're trying to perform it as fast as you possibly can with good technique. Now, for our people who have been doing it for a while, they don't have to think about the technique. It's just bring Sally up, bring Sally down, you know. Um, for our, you know, newer people or people who are still getting the hang of it, I say, hey, go as fast as you can but controlled just because – you know, we don't want anybody to hurt themselves or do anything stupid. Uh, we don't want any asses coming up off the bench on bench press or anything like that. We don't want anybody crashing down on the box on a box squat or what have you, or not setting their hips on a deadlift. So that's uh, the first two. So you're looking at that, you know, week three of, of, of a wave, you're looking at 25, 85% squats at max intensity, max speed, uh, 20 deadlifts at 85%, max intensity, max speed, that's uh, a lot of volume. So then we <laughs> do accessories. And accessories this day, the only difference between this day and max effort day is we typically uh, use this day for more of like fast movements. So we don't want anything to be slow on dynamic effort day. That's the whole, the whole premise. Um, we, uh, you know, we'll do we'll box jumps. We'll finish, with some, we'll finish with some sort of jump. Sometimes we'll do two jumps on occasion. Um, I actually just put together a new box to do more box jumps today before I came out here. Um, we'll do fast banded hamstring curls. Um, we'll do reverse hyper with maybe a less strict form, more focus on traction. Uh, just really just trying to get our explosive uh, movements down. You know, uh, RDLs with uh, slow eccentric, fast concentric, you know, just anything that's an explosive movement for the lower body. Uh, also, too, I should have said this earlier, I just want to um, add uh, abs are every day. So Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, whatever, any day that we're in the gym, we're doing abs. So I don't even, I don't even, it's important to understand that we don't even include that on the list of accessories. So when I say, you know, do your max effort and then your supplementary and then your two accessories or three accessories, what have you, Abs do not count towards that. You should be doing at least one ab accessory every time you're in the gym. And that's like three sets of eight crunches, right, Jerry? That's, <laughs> that's your abs? Uh, we rotate what ab exercise we do for the wave, but right now we're really just trying to see who can do the most GHDs. <laughs> so uh, Give me just a few examples. What would you, in your ab um, arsenal, just, just name me off a few of the ones that you guys like to go to. Um, standing abs are huge. I love standing ab exercises. I like resisting rotation and not just... We do in PT as well. Yeah. A lot of... Uh, you can definitely see the conjugate system influence on, on our, our, uh, our clinic. Uh, yeah, so we love doing, you know, pull-downs, pull-off press, stuff of that nature. Um, I really... Farmer's carry? Farmer's carry. Oh, yeah. Carry, we do carries all the time. Like that, I wouldn't even consider that the ab exercise. <laughs> so that's... Uh, <laughs> you don't have abs on top of that. But um, Single-arm farmer's carry? Yeah, landmine, uh, rotational stuff. Uh, I would say that I probably rotate in a lot more GHD ab stuff than traditional West Side, just because I just think they build character because they're so awful. Uh, so, 
but mostly, um, you know, planks, anything that resists movement more so than doing reps outside of the GHD. Uh, and we might throw in some dragon flags or some sort of leg raise as well, hanging leg raise as well. Um, but for the most part, it's all standing abs or, you know, rotational, just stuff of that nature. Okay. Um, so, in the concept here, this important, maybe, I don't want to get too nerdy here, but, you know, something that Westside is, is, is doing in, they're separating, you know, their their heavy, the max effort with dynamic, because there's some. I don't want to go into the deep science, but there's just some, there's some complexities of things that kind of impact the other. So when you do, um, when you're challenging your neuromuscular system to a max effort, okay, there's there's obviously things that are they're happening on the motor neuron level or the the, the nervous level, um, and the muscular level. And there, and there are things that are happening similar but different when you're doing things explosively. Um, and what um, Louis built a system on that was, from my understanding, built off what the, the, the Eastern Europeans and Soviet bloc countries figured out way before us and have dominated us on the world level of lifting is you want to separate those two, basically let the system kind of settle and reset and, and get the appropriate – uh, response before you challenge the other. Some guys may be very um, uh, uh, similar. It's like cardio and strength days as well. You know, typically speaking, when I think when you get into a, uh, you know the higher level, the Division One worlds and the professional sports worlds, you, you typically are going to want to separate like a hard aerobic capacity or a cardio day with a with a heavy strength training day. Now I've read research that that suggests that. Um, I think it's a minimum of four hours, uh, four to six hours. If you separate, so if you go in, you get a really heavy lift in the morning, it'd be okay four to six hours later to then do some cardio or aerobic capacity. But this, I guess the, the idea here is that it, there is, just understand and appreciate that um, there's intentionality. There's so much intentionality and purpose behind Kanji. Everything that they are doing is, um, it's not random. It's not because they, they think it's the most badass way to do do something. Or we're doing it because Louis says. It. Listen, Louis will, will, will say like these weren't most of these weren't his ideas, his principles. He's he's legitimately has been standing on the shoulders of of um, some of the the absolute most brilliant um, strengthening distance scientists that have ever existed on planet Earth. And these are well-researched principles that, that they're they're using that have standed the test of time. So it's 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 why they are separating this max effort and this explosivity on two different days. Yeah, I just want to touch on that too. Two things there. Uh, you know, he was saying about you know it's important that you separate those those two. Um, your body really, this is a sleeping statement, um, but your body really only remembers the last thing that you did. Um, so, you know, that's why we finish our, our dynamic lower days going back to that on jumps because we're trying to get explosiveness. So a lot of people, they're going to do their jumps early on because you don't want to do a box jump with tired legs from the whole workout. Well, I want to finish on the most explosive movement, so we're going to finish on box jumps. Uh, maybe you can't jump as high as you could have if you did them, you know, warmed up and fresh, but that's not really the point. You know what I mean? I'm not, I'm trying to use the box jump as a tool for a purpose. I'm not trying to be the best at box jumps. So they, that's where they fit in. And the other thing is, um, lost my train of thought, talk too long. It's my ADD, my ADD brain. Um, we, oh, the other thing is going back to what he said about there being an intention for everything. Uh, 
don't do a single rep if that rep does not make you stronger. So, like, that's really what it comes down to is, yeah, we max out, but it's not to be able to – I mean, it's cool to be able to say you broke a PR and, like, look how big my squat is or my bench is, but we max out for the purpose of building and testing strength. We don't hang chains from the bar on squats because it looks badass, which it does look badass and it is badass, but we do it for a purpose. You do it for the gram, baby. <laughs> so there's a lot of programs, a lot of systems that have a lot of what I would call junk volume, which is any rep that doesn't directly make you stronger. Like I can, just to get into it like this, uh, so we talked about, you know, main movement, supplementary and accessory movements. Um, let's say that uh, you want to bench 300 pounds and we'll say uh, your bench is 265, right? Actually, we'll go lower. Let's say it's 250, your goal is 300. So you're looking at this, this, this day, this work day, this workout, and you see that you have JM press and skull crushers on it and, you know, chest supported rows, whatever. You can do chest supported rows and skull crushers and JM press until the cows come home and your bench press will not move, will likely, unless you have a big deficit, not move an inch. But by doing JM press and skull crushers, your two board bench press close grip will go up. And if I can get your two board close grip to go up and I use that as a supplementary lift, train that for a wave, then your bench goes up. And that's how the, just that's a good time to say, I think, that's how the system kind of feeds with the strength deficits. It's like, are, tri are doing tricep extensions gonna make you better at bench press? No, but it'll build the muscles that you need to transfer that movement to the barbell. Because tricep extensions at the end of the day, or, or skull crushers are a foreign movement. Uh, it's, it's too different of a movement pattern to make your bench better. But it'll make your triceps stronger, which will make your close grip bench better. And your close grip bench is a much more similar movement to a bench press. So by doing that and applying it to the barbell, now your bench goes up. So then maybe you retest and you're at 270 and then you know, your shoulders are the deficit. So then you do lateral raises, which take your overhead press up, which then that can be applied to the barbell. And that's sort of how the accessory, supplementary, and, and core lifts like feed each other. When I first started hearing Louis talk about that principle, it just made somewhat sense to me as a physical therapist because he talks about things. We keep saying we things break. Obviously, that's the, the title of this podcast and one of me and Chase's favorite things to say. But um, you know, I, he would talk about things, okay, where in, there, in the link of the system, um, and he's talking about it with for competitive powerlifters where it's bench squat, deadlift. Okay, where in that link are things breaking down and then he would you know he, you hear people say how legendary he was that you you walk in the gym you you sneeze and louis can tell you the 18 exercises you need to do to, to fix everything um but that's what he like that's what chase is doing that's what louis does what i think a good conjugate coach does is they, they look at you they 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 find the the, the weak link in the system where where's things breaking in, the, in, in their case it's a barbell pattern Okay, we do the same thing in physical therapy. I'm, I'm looking at someone raising their arm over their head or picking someone off the floor, and I'm looking for, you know, there are signs and symptoms and sniff tests, right, that, that show me, okay, that this poor movement pattern is happening, and then we plug and play it. So it makes so much sense to me as, as, as a clinician. And I was like, man, that when, if, I just remember 10, 12, whenever that years ago when I was, heard Louis talk for the first time, I'm like, man, this guy's making – so, so much sense as far as his, his approach of, okay, 
this is why we do these certain things where we're using these specific supplements it's not random it's like i'm just going to do triceps today no i'm going to do like these specific things because this hits my triceps in a way that builds the pattern and and increases the lift yeah really what it comes down to is like you build the you build the muscle with the accessory you build the uh the adaptation to the movement with the supplementary lift, and then you test or build with the with the, the main lift. Uh, that really also the, that's uh, a big thing in super training. If everybody if anybody ever wants to read that book, that's a great one to check out. If you really want to nerd out, but they talk about that quite a bit. That principle. So um, Monday max effort lower, Wednesday max effort upper. We just did Friday. Friday was um, Chase doesn't like to call it speed day. I know a lot of people call that it was dynamic effort day would be more more accurately um put lower um saturday is that when you're doing your then dynamic effort upper saturday or sunday so for for, for most of the gym it's sunday um but our just by you know our it's sunday so people have obligations and if you go to church you have stuff to do it's a lot of people's family days so i also have the gym open on saturdays just to do your max effort upper but saturday and sunday Saturday or Sunday will be somebody's max effort upper, or sorry, dynamic effort upper uh, day for the week. So whichever day is your dynamic effort upper day, we'll uh, focus on speed bench for powerlifters. So that's just uh, similar to the, the squat. We either do a five by five or a nine by three. Um, five by five or four by five just depending on you know where we're at with training but really it's just the same principle you're just 75 80 85 percent nine by three or five by five or four by five and you're just pushing it as fast as you can push it um just working on the explosiveness and driving through the whole motion motion and building uh your speed and power and then after that supplementary lift uh which going back to friday on Friday, I didn't mention a supplementary lift. That's because the deadlift is the supplementary lift. So you squat 12 by 2, 5 by 5, and then you deadlift. The deadlift is the supplementary. Um, so, but anyways, so the supplementary lift on this day will usually be something that can be done quickly because um, it's dynamic effort day. So if you did, uh, we might do like a 3 by 6 close grip two board with bands. And just focus on really just touching that board, not bouncing off the board, but touching the board and going and just really focusing on that lockout, you know, um, explosivity, just driving through the lockout, not to the lockout. Um, that's usually how the supplementary works on that day. We also do a lot, and this is something that I probably got from my, my day job. Uh, we do a lot of shoulder stability, uh, which is something that I would say that, we di that our personal way of doing things sort of differs from traditional west side i mean you're not going to find louis simmons somewhere saying and do work on your shoulder stability on saturdays or anything like that but it's something we do because it's vital like it really is um and but you see how much stronger not only does it bulletproof the system and and, and work on injury prevention you see how daggone effective it is it's also just getting people strong absolutely too, right? yeah i mean if you you know everybody's if you've been to any gym anywhere you know what it looks like like somebody unracks a bar for bench and it's just shaking all over the place and uh you know they they might get their rep they might get their one rep max whatever they might hit a pr but if that bar is shaking i mean how much wasted energy is that if you can push that in a straight line so yeah it's, it's injury prevention first and foremost but like you said it does have a, a very big carryover to uh to uh strength um so 
we'll do that for that day. We'll do a lot of uh, external rotation stuff, internal rotation stuff with the shoulder banded. Face pulls are huge for us. Uh, gymnastics rings, TRX type stuff. Um, flies with TRX, rows with TRX, or I guess for me, gymnastics rings. Uh, we'll do a bamboo bench or earthquake bench, you know, the bamboo bar. Uh, if you haven't heard of it, look it up. It'll make you feel as weak as a kitten. You just take a bamboo bar and uh, hang some bands from it that, with some plates on them, and 50 pounds will, will break you. <laughs> we were playing with it a few weeks ago in uh, a radius, and it was hilarious. Yeah, I almost became a patient. It was sick. Yeah. Uh, we do a lot of bottoms-up kettlebell press, shoulder and chest press. Um, yeah, so that's really just a, like a, a big bulletproofing day. And then abs, of course. Um, yeah, we'll do... Uh, We'll do posterior chain stuff, like upper back, but like I said, it's all mostly more like bulletproofing. So, you know, stuff to really recruit like your, your rotator cuff ring muscles. Ring tees, ring wise, so. pulling the sled backwards. Yeah, pulling the sled backwards is really big. Uh, with the rings, you know, take your arms out to your side and make a T pose and walk backwards, pulling a sled, sucks. Yeah. All right, so we got, um, you know, so week, week one, just the basic template here, guys. Again, so max effort lower, max effort upper, then dynamic lower, dynamic upper. So week one there, Chase, and then you know, you know, thinking about like now week two. Okay, you have those those base days. What's different then on on week two, and as you as you work your way through the month? Okay, so I guess this is the part where I can really sink my teeth into this and really break it down, uh, Barney style. Um, so the percentages of load on Friday. Or we'll just say because because really you can do these any like typically I would say convincingly speaking West Side is a is a four day a week system preferred yep. right mm -hmm. although we can do it I don't know if we'll get that on this podcast yet or not but you can do it there's there's three day right, yeah options, oh, yeah yeah and, and for sure yeah it doesn't have to do four days so the, we've done this in three days as well yeah um I've got a guy doing it a three day split right now which I'm not going to get into because. I yeah, gotta, I gotta have, I gotta get on here again, you know. So. There will be a part two. <laughs> really, what I would like, I'm trying to do here with Chase today is, is um, really, honestly, kind of put my recommendation, the stamp of approval, in the kind of system. Okay, um, introduce guys to to Chase and and start to get listeners um, a, a just a basic understanding of of how do we get started in what is, in my opinion, the single greatest way to create strength and injury prevention for life and all sports not just powerlifting so so uh yeah so for your for your friday or your uh dynamic days our loads like i said week one 75 percent week two 80 week three 85 percent uh and then you reset the fourth week to week one and do it again really all you really, if you're just getting into it and you want to know the bare bones of it think about it as if you're not gonna do if you don't want to do all the percentages and get down to the hard science and really uh, live in it as, as I have, uh, dude, take, uh, take five or 10 pounds and add to the bar every week on your dynamic days. That's simple enough. And I like to say increase volume before weight. So think about your week, your first week is your lightest week. Week three is your heavier week that way. And that that's important. I know a lot of people out there are like, okay, well, I'm, I'm going to go heavy, less heavy, but I'm still going to go heavy my first week for your dynamic days, don't. Because in week four, it'll be week one again, and that's gonna be your recovery week. It's like a rolling deload. So 
light, moderate, heavy volume. So if you're going to do like three sets of an accessory on week one, then do four sets on week two and maybe five sets or drop sets on week three. Uh, so that's how the dynamic day loading is going to work. That's important to say. First they, call that what a, they call that a three-week pendulum Three-week pendulum right? wave, yeah. Swings one way, swings back. Um, so that's, that's important to lay out there first and foremost is that everybody wants to look at max effort day because it's cool. It's like, dude, I get to lift my heaviest weight. That's cool. We live and die on Fridays and Sundays. It's the most important day. It's the highest volume days. It's important. So I want to get that out of the way first and foremost. That's how you... It's a very, very simplified way to just period, uh, to periodize your volume for those days. So if you're starting conjugate tomorrow and or Monday, you'll max out whatever lift. We'll just say squat. So you max out your squat on Monday and you max out your bench on Wednesday. So next Monday, um, you'll max out a variation of a squat or a deadlift, like I said earlier. So you don't need a whole bunch of bars to do this, um, a whole bunch of equipment and specialty stuff. It, it makes it better. It helps, yeah. You can right. definitely pinpoint weaknesses um, easier. And, you know, like I can put that giant camber bar on your back and make you squat and we'll really figure out how weak that posterior chain is, but you don't need that. I mean, you take, like we said earlier, you're just going to take, take the squat. You take your one rep max, three rep max, and five rep max. If all you have is a squat bar and a rack and some weights. That's three exercises. You can rotate that. Then you take into account like stance. You know, you take your uh, take your squat wide. Well, now you got six exercises. Shoes. Do you have lifters? Well, now you got nine exercises because you can do all those three. Front squat. Front squat. Yeah. Zercher squat. Zercher squat. There's all these variations you can do with minimal equipment. Um, but the thing is, you want to rotate them every Monday. So we might box squat to a 14-inch box on Monday. That box squat box will sit in the corner for as many as 10 weeks. Who knows? Um, until we just get around to programming that again. Bench is the same way. Bench can be a little trickier um, because you don't have, you first, or upper body rather, can be a little trickier because you only have one lift instead of two to create variations with because you can also deadlift from different heights. But pin press, you know, go the gym you work out in, keep track of your PRs at different pins. Um, you know, board press. You don't even need a board. Like, uh, I think you can get a bench block for as little as $40 right now online. So that's a very valuable piece of equipment that fits in a gym bag that just gave you. Narrow grip, mid-grip, wide grip. Yeah, narrow grip, mid-grip, wide grip to different to different board heights or bench block heights. Um, so, you know, really, if you just want to get into it, with just a bar and a rack, you can do a lot. You throw in one box of different heights, depending on what side you put it on and a bench block, and you're like 60% to having a home gym at that point. Um, so it really just, just rotate those exercises in. Every Monday, back to the point, I got kind of ranty there. Back to the point, every Monday and Wednesday, just rotate in a different max effort, uh, max effort mm -hmm. exercise. And you'll be amazed at you know how, how good it is for you physically and how much stronger you'll get. And not only that, but psychologically. Yeah. Like the first time that when we have people come to the gym and maybe they max out bench press for the first time and let's say you hit the, like 255 or 265 and then they, 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 might not, they might not bench again for another yeah, seven or well, eight weeks. Yeah, and they don't bench again for three months and they're like, you, I mean, people are like, oh my God, dude, I, 
I hope, I, I hope I've gotten stronger. And then they're benching like 290 or 295, 300. Uh, you know, I think our biggest one, we had a, a kid go from a, a 245 bench press to a 295 or 290 in like six weeks. Yeah. Just, and he only benched twice. <laughs> Watched it happen. Yeah. And it's like, and, he, and he's a doubting kid. Yeah. This is not an unfit. This is a, yeah, oh yeah, dude, he's, he's a, he's, he's yeah, a gym he's a, rat. He's a badass. It's not deconditioned. There wasn't a, a beginner's response. This is a, yeah, yeah. He's a badass. So it's like if, and that's just off of okay, uh, kind of got a weak-ish upper back, um, super expl- explosive, but doesn't really grind out bench very well. So we just tailored our conjugate accessories and our accommodating. And there was a ton of technique, yeah. little tiny things that you worked with them with as well. And yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think I think one of the pitfalls that a lot of lifters, powerlifters, Olympic weightlifters, CrossFitters, even just guys who lift, people who lift, women who lift, fall into, is that, like, you get under the bar, like, hoping you've gotten stronger, and, like, week in, week out, you know, every now and then you might put, like, a five-pound PR on something if you're having a good day, but it's psychologically, like, I wouldn't say damaging, but it's discouraging to go in and push the same weight, so then you end up just... Before you know it, you're not taking training as seriously, and you're just used to like the monotony of it all. But like with conjugate, it's like, do we break a PR every time we go in the gym? Yeah. Like, dude. So, <laughs> going back to like the consistency and doing the right things out of the gym, dude. My sister had an abscessed tooth, and she was getting taken out on Friday night or Monday night, sorry, and uh, in the ER, and she came to the house with an app with a with an abscessed tooth and cotton in her jaw, and set a nine pound box squat PR. And it's her worst lift. So it's like, you know, it's very like, I don't know, it's, uh, it's very like relieving for people to, to feel like you're stronger every time you're in the gym. And that's one of the things that I feel like it doesn't get enough praise for. Um, and it's not smoke and mirrors. It's, it's yeah. not fake strength. Yeah. It's like, well, I'm pretending that I'm getting stronger. Dude, that, by yeah, doing it's, these it's not like, it's not like I put a nine pounds on my squat cause I cut it two inches. 14 inch box is 14 inches. 12 inch box is 12 inches. So, like, that PR is, like, you can't, like, it's not something that you can really say, like, well, the last time I kind of held my foot this way, and this time I was wearing shoes, and whatever. It's like, dude, it's a PR. And I just think it's very motivating for people. If people can make it through that first three to six weeks, that first big PR you put on, it's like, did you just see it in people's faces? They're just sold. Yeah. Like, every time. Um, And it's hard trading, and if you start digging in the trenches, it can be complicated, but, like, we... Just don't miss. It, it, success is so contagious. T- to your point, you know, it's like when you start working with a. a for me right now, it's, it's a lot of young wrestlers, and really my coaching focus right now is, is youth wrestling. And you'll get a kid to come in, and it's like there's always those that and it's, it's. Nor I get it. It's, it's I get, they just don't quite trust you. Like, uh, your coach, you're telling me to put my arm like this, but it doesn't really feel right. And you know, I don't know if I'm doing the right thing. So all of a sudden, you know, they go out two months later and they hit that technique in some match that they win and they look over at you like dude like it worked it like holy crap it worked like i'm getting my hand raised and being successful and then they're hooked right but unless you put in the time and the work and the effort um and have a little trust in the system but then t- to your point man it conjugate works i mean it just it it works um and like anything else, okay, the, the things that are really um, meaningful in life take a crap ton of work and time, consistency and diligence and discomfort that you got to get through. And you need to have some toughness involved in it. But if you're able to commit to it, 
Um, and to your point, get over that six to eight week hump, man. Let the PRs rain. Yeah, it uh, it really does. Like after that first uh, brief period, you know, because you can definitely tell too when it's people's like first time. You can tell who's who because they kind of it's like okay, you know, just you can kind of get the demeanor. And it's like I don't really know why we're doing this, but whatever. And then uh, I always like that first big PR on a lift, especially when it's somebody a lift means a lot to somebody, like not just a competition lift, but somebody who's been stuck for like a long time. Like one of our other colleagues uh, comes to mind when he hit his, uh, he had a 20 pound squat PR. I think it was just like six or seven weeks. I don't know. It's been back over the summer, but that was like a, like what, like a two year like PR for him. Yeah, he, dude, he, he is a, in a very legit CrossFitter, super fit. I mean, that guy, the kid's life is fitness. Um, my gosh, we see it all the time, don't we? Yeah. And uh, started working with you, and you know he was definitely apprehensive um, to start to implementing some of the principles you were, you were talking about. And um, for for a guy like that that had been working six days a week to try to break a PR, um, how quick did he? I mean, that was uh, fast with you. So we got him. Uh, he had had a labrum surgery. We got him back to his uh, his his all time PR um, in about six weeks. Yeah. I think it was an additional six or seven. Just that was it was, yeah. it was five. It was five yeah, I forgot weeks. to mention that he was a post-op labor. Yeah, that, that same the same year he had done his rehab with me, and <laughs> we got we got him back to the lifting, and then um, yeah, then uh, after we got him back to his <laughs> lifetime PR, uh, it was five weeks after. It was supposed to be four, but he had COVID for one week, so whatever. Uh, and he put a twenty-pound PR in a squat, and just moments like that where somebody comes off the bar and they're like, "Dude, what just happened?" Where yeah. it's like. You know, uh, it makes it all worth it. Yeah. So the the four days, and then within the month, you are on those dynamic effort days. You are increasing the percentiles. Okay, about what seventy five, eighty, eighty five percent. Yep. Um, and then back to week four, you not only are kind of going back then to seventy five percent on your your dynamic effort days. Do you also chase at that time? Also change some of your accessories? Are you changing them every four weeks or? Um, so just to explain, um, it's called, it's referred to as a law of accommodation. It's the, uh, principle that once you do something repeatedly, you tend to detrain and plateau or even go backwards. So the conjugate system, one of the reason we rotate exercises on max effort day is to, uh, you know, avoid the law of accommodation. You're putting your, the science of it is you're putting your spine at a different angle for different squats. So it affects your central nervous system differently. So you don't really experience the same type of CNS fatigue, um, you know, and that gets into the, you know, the, the Bulgarian principles of adrenal fatigue and the dark times. And that's not going to get into all that. But the principle is that you adapt your CNS to be able to handle different uh, heavy loads from different angles over a period of time. Um, we also do that with accessories. But with accessories, it really comes down to if you want to look at the literature and the history of West Side or even the Soviet conjugate system, the way the the way the Chinese run their repetition method now is actually very, very close to, um, it's pretty much conjugate in everything but name. Um, it varies how long they keep accessories in. You know, you'll see some people say that they throw out their accessories every week and get a new, what it, same muscle group, different accessory every week. Some people say five weeks, three weeks. Dave Tate says that he didn't change his accessories for 14 years. <laughs> but uh, he also says you put the ass in accessories, which is weird because it's not even spelled that way, but whatever. <laughs> Anyways. Uh, <laughs> are, are you changing your... So for um, us, what we do, what we do, getting back to the point, is uh, we tend to change it every three to five, usually three, but that's because for me, I want to use an accessory long enough to know if it works for this person. So 
if I recognize that you have weak triceps and then I have you do JM press for three weeks and then it just seems like you might have gotten a little progress but not really the drastic improvement that I was hoping for, then we might throw it out in three weeks. Or if it makes like, if it doesn't just agree with you, like if you have like, you know, hey, this kind of makes my elbow feel weird or something, we'll throw it out in three weeks. But I don't like to change exercises for accessories as frequently because uh, I want to know if it's working for you or not. And I feel like by rotating exercises, I don't want to come into the gym one day and be like, wow, you hit a 25-pound bench PR. It must have been the dumbbell press we did last week when it could have been the shoulder mobility you did three weeks ago. So I want to know what's working. Basically. It's too much chaos. You know, one of the um, – I mean, you guys know I love CrossFit. I, I, I still use CrossFit. I was a CrossFit coach. My wife owned a CrossFit gym. Um, the CrossFit community in Harrisonburg is very near and dear to my heart. One of my critiques of, the, of that program – you know that is that the is based off the definition of CrossFit is constantly varied. I think what happens though in a lot of the the gyms is constantly varied turns into random. Get random and constantly varied are two totally different things. I think you can't. Um, you need to to Chase's point. If I'm programming for an athlete, I need to repeat an exercise enough to get you know eighty the um, the bulk benefit out of that movement. And then I change it. So I'm not also not I – don't, I don't necessarily agree with Dave Tate. I'm not doing the same exercises for, for 14 years. He, he but, doesn't agree with him anymore. Um, so. I, I'm like – so when I program, we I typically like – I have my athletes do the same extra, same supplements for three weeks, and we typically change them on, on the fourth. I also get bored very quick. But I'm never going to have someone do a, an accessory for less than three because then, again, to your point, it's – yes, we want to keep, quote, unquote, keep the body guessing, which, again, that's a – um, there's some debate. There, there, yeah. There's some debate on whether that's actually ac- happening or not. But yeah, we want we want to, to vary to avoid the law of accommodation. But you also need to give something enough time to actually settle in and see if it's going to work. It's like if I change my diet every single day, I'm carnivore today. I'm keto tomorrow. I'm vegetarian next day. Like, I, I don't know how well that's going to work. Yeah, too. Like you said, CrossFit being too varied. Uh, another reason too. Like I said, you know, we rotate max exercises every week. Well, that's also another reason for that is the central nervous system responds much bigger to like a big squat than it does to uh, a, a, a lunge or a sled or something like that or a dumbbell press, what have you. So with these like high volume single or two joint exercises, you don't really need to change them out every week to avoid the law of accommodation because you're not taxing the central nervous system as hard. So that's another thing too. I think that, like you said about CrossFit being too varied, a lot of people who are just the super, like, hardcore conjugate people that you'll find on social media or, you know, out there on the Internet, uh, I think they take it a little too seriously with changing exercise because you're using a, a single or two-joint movement, and you don't need to change it out as often as you would need to change out a primary exercise either. It kind of, at that point, you d- it's just not necessary. Yeah, keep it simple, stupid, okay, uh, almost in all things. Um, now, it, you also, when you get on, get on the gram or you can YouTube it or wherever, you're going to see CrossFit, uh, excuse me, CrossFit, you're going to see Conjugate, um, is, what do you see? You're going to see chains on the bar, you can see bands. I, I don't know if I want to get into, I don't want to get into the weeds, Chase, because I want to have you back on again here pretty soon to actually do a more advanced part two discussion, but, I mean, that's, um, that's one of those elephant in the room discussions when you, when you start talking about Westside and Conjugate with people that know a little enough to be dangerous 
you know, wh what are we using the, the chains and the bands and all that for? So I'm trying to think of a short answer here. Um, first of all, I want to say that if you start conjugate today or Monday, whatever, what have you, without the chains and the bands, and you do it consistently until the next time I'm on here to talk about them, <laughs> then you'll be fine. <laughs> you're you're going to be a lot stronger. Yeah, you'll be good. Uh, but with that being said, uh, so the chains and bands are what is referred to as accommodating resistance. Um, so if you think about, just think about uh, being like on a bench and you're going to bench press and you have your plates on the bar or whatever, and then you have chains hanging from the bar. Well, as you lower to the floor, the chains are going to unload on the floor. So it's going to be lighter. As you push up, uh, it'll be heavier again because the chains are falling to the floor. You know, gravity does gravity, and that's how it works. So um, something that's become trendy among both people who train conjugate and people who are just power lifters who are looking for clout or lifters who are looking for clout, whatever, is to put, like, 225 on the bar for a squat and then hang 500 pounds of chains on it and then squat it and it's 225 at the bottom, 700 pounds at the top, and then be like new squat PR 725. Yeah. And that's not how it works. I wish it was because that'd be cool, but it's not. The, the chains are not to make you, to boost your ego or make you feel stronger. The bands are not there to make you feel better about yourself or make you feel stronger. They're there to serve a purpose. So we use them primarily, primarily on dynamic days. And the point of it is to meet the, Louis would call it the strength curve. I think a more, uh, maybe this is like a, a clinic-y term, I guess. I like to say the leverage curve of the lifter. Um, so for 90% of people, um, deadlift's gonna be hardest off the floor for 90% of people. Nobody really misses at the top unless it's fatigue or grip related or what, what have you. So for like a deadlift, you hang chains from it. At the bottom, you might have a 600-pound deadlift. At the top, you might have 800. So we know you can deadlift 600 at the floor, but the top, you kind of just coast through it, and it's easy. Well, I want the lift to be hard the entire way through because that's how you build explosive power is by driving through the entire lift. You'd be amazed if you did a bar tracker or something on yourself how much you tend to slow down Mm. Not slow down per se in speed, but in exertion as you get through the hardest Dude, part. Dude, you coast. You, you just coast, coast through the rest of the You coast to the top. So the chains and bands are there to make it difficult throughout the duration. As your joint extends, like if you're going to do a bench, if your arm extends, you get better leverage the less elbow flexion you have. So the bench becomes easier. So I want to put chains on it. That way, when it's supposed to be getting easier and you're going to coast through it, you have to keep pushing. And that's what the accommodating resistance is for. And I know that this is kind of a rough tutorial, so we're not really getting super into it, but if you want a basic template for how to start using chains or bands on your dynamic effort lifts on Friday and Sunday or Friday and Saturday, what have you, um, a good place to start is 60%, this is a good place to start until you get your tolerance for it, 60% bar weight, 15% band tension or chains. Boom, so get, 15%. So are, are you only using those or, or primarily using bands and chains on your dynamic effort days and not your max effort days? 95% of the time or the majority of the time, yes, it's mostly for the, the, the bar speed and accommodating resistance on that percentage. But we do have 
especially not, not as much now, but when we didn't have as much equipment and we were just looking for more exercises, we would have like a chain squat PR. So like, okay, like that's a new PR. So we did, uh, like I say, you have a 400 pound squat. Well, your chain squat PR might be, might be 380 plus 60. And now you have a 440 chain squat. And you can do it as a different exercise variation if you want to make a different PR for it. Um, it doesn't have to be a PR. If you're just like, dude, I feel like shit today and I don't want to miss. Uh, another saying I like is don't miss, modify. If you just want to just want to hit something cool that you're just going to put your max effort into, but maybe you didn't sleep good last night or, uh, you know, you got some family stuff going on and you're just going to have a bad day in the gym, just don't miss modify. Take your squat that you're supposed to do. Don't try to shoot if you know you're going to miss. Just put like 100 pounds of chains on there and do the heaviest bar weight you can. And then all of a sudden, you know, you did your best that you could do that day. And uh, you have a new PR. And now you can try to beat that again in 10 weeks or whatever. So we do it on max every day for those, on those instances. Yeah, guys, basically what those chains and bands are doing, you know, if when um, – kind of a it's a very quick nerd explanation is you know, so our, our electrical system like our nervous system you know is either doing it's doing recruitment so motor neuron recruitment so how many of these little electrical um responses are actually firing okay on the muscle spindle or and then how much electricity is going through the system so, so how many basically fingertips are touching are going to be that are touching that, that fiber are going to be active, and then how much juice is going through them. And when you start adding things like bands and chains, it just, if you could, um, you know, see yourself on, on like a like an EMG machine, you would see those things just light up like a Christmas tree when you start adding things. And so it's, it, it, it's working on, um, really on that neuromuscular central nervous system level. Yeah, to, yeah too, yeah, with that as well. Um, that's a really good point, because if you have somebody who's doing it for the first time, we have people that put bands or chains on for the first time on a lift, and all of a sudden they, they, their PR goes through the roof the, next, the roof the next time just because they're using something that they just – their central nervous system, it's almost like it wasn't even firing that muscle. It's untrained. Yeah, it wasn't it's even like recruiting it. But because you had to grind through that chain rep, you know, your body, like, found a way, and then now yeah. you've unlocked something. That happens a lot with, uh, with novices and intermediates. You're training the brain. So, Chase, we're, about, we're actually just, just over an hour and a half in, and um, like I said, I wanted to, to this to be an, an introduction and um, – to get people started. So I guess two, two last questions. One would be um, very simple, all right? What is the basic equipment needs that someone needs to get started? And then two, what would you say the um, most common, you know, one or two beginner mistakes that, that they're going to see being made? Um, really, like I said earlier, like we said earlier, uh, a bar, weight, and a rack, you know, like Jeremy said, you know, you can front squat, back squat, uh, you can deadlift. If you have safety pegs, you can deadlift from different heights. You can bench from different heights, what have you. Uh, close grip, narrow grip, close wide grip, grip, narrow grip. Yeah. Uh, you have so many variations, which is that type of equipment to rotate in. I think it would be extremely beneficial for anyone and everyone to get a box or something. I say or something because and this kind of goes into the, you know, biggest mistakes, but people will tell me all the time when I give them a program or they ask me for a program and I just give them something and it has box squats in it. Well, my gym doesn't have a box. It's like, it might not have a box, but it has something. Yeah. Squat on a bench. 
Is it an adjustable bench? Can you raise it and lower it? We use jujitsu pads. We literally use jujitsu pads <laughs> in the clinic. You know, those little, like, if you're in a gym that has, like, one of those, like, fitness classrooms with the wooden floor that has those plastic stackable things in the corner that the old ladies use to do step-ups on, steal those and make a box. Record your PR at different heights. So, like, that's, like, you can box squat. Also, if you're watching this and you're listening to this, you're box squatting wrong, look it up. Look up how to box squat. That's all I'll say. You're doing. You're, I promise you, you're box squatting. That's probably gonna be a podcast. That's that's, that's, a, that was, that's gonna be a box squat. Don't get me started. <laughs> that's yeah. So that's rolling right into the, mis the common mistakes uh, at that point. Um, common mistakes. You're box squatting wrong, and going too heavy on dynamic days. Those are the two biggest mistakes. People mess up their box squats, and people want to. Uh, Especially that first week, people say, you know, it doesn't feel heavy. Like, how is this going to make me stronger? I don't feel like it's doing anything. Well, it's not there to be a slow lift. It's there for speed and power. That's the number one mistake that I see is, is people wanting to go too heavy on the, the dynamic effort days. Um, just, just stick to the numbers, stick to the percentages, do it fast, do it hard, put if your max effort is 500 pounds and your speed work says, or your dynamic work, speed work, whatever, what have you, says do 300, put 500 pounds of energy into that 300 pound bar and it will work for you. As long as you push it as hard as you can, it'll work. It's not supposed to feel heavy. Um, oh, and uh, also, um, going back to what we said before, doing things you like, not things you need. That's, ac that's actually probably the biggest mistake. Um, if people can get the dynamic effort work right, the biggest mistake is, dude, I don't care if you're doing conjugate or if you're in PT, if you're doing any other strength program, don't just go in and do exercises you enjoy doing. And not, even, not only just don't just do them, but don't just put effort into the exercises that you enjoy doing. Like, if you hate doing front squats and you make yourself do them, but you half-ass them, it's, just, it's, it's almost as bad as not doing them. So really, this, that, that's another one too. Do and put the most effort in the things that you suck at and you will see success. Those are my, I would say those are the biggest mistakes. Yeah, right on. Um, I highly encourage people to do homework. Okay, that's one of my mistakes of starting any, any endeavor, especially one that's um, difficult, is you, you need to, you know, don't be lazy, okay? Put, start, start doing some research. Um, there's so many resources out there. Chase is a phenomenal one. Um, whether you're in the Harrison McGarry or you're not, um, he, you know he's he's written um, a bunch of blogs on it that, that are very user friendly. Um, Chase, where can where can people um, I guess want some of the resources you put out, your blogs, and then how to get a hold of you and in your gym if you're in the Shenandoah Valley area and actually want to um, get coached through some of this? Um, yeah, so we're most reachable on Instagram, uh, and uh, our Instagram handle for the gym is Appalachia Iron. All one word, uh, Appalachia Iron, not Appalachian, Appalachia Iron. And my uh, my Instagram handle for me directly is uh, Chase Conjugate. Um, no underscore, no space, just all one word as well. So those two. And then, and so your uh, your blog, where people can start reading some stuff that you put out. Both of those Instagram handles uh, okay. have the link in the bio to uh, to my three latest blog posts. So um, we have another one coming up hopefully this week. But yeah, uh, just those two Instagram handles, link in bio. Um, I'm going to put you on the spot here, okay? Open and willing to, you know, people coming out and training your gym. If someone was interested in possibly doing that, what, and they want to, 
have you coached them through their introduction to conjugate? How, how do people do that? Message you, slide them DMs and talk about it. Slide them DMs, and when you show up, don't suck. (laughs) (laughs) And that doesn't mean you have to show up being strong. Just don't suck. Don't don't like show up and half-ass it, and don't show up and just think that because you walk through the door and put some chains on a bar, you're going to be strong. It's hard, man. It's hard stuff. That's what most people get wrong. It's hard shit. Just showing up and saying you're doing conjugate and wearing an Appalachian Iron T-shirt doesn't make you strong. You make you strong. I just I just guide your river a little bit, so. Yeah, guys, you know, strength is never a weakness, all right? And and whether it's, you know, you can use the example. Louis, Louis talks about it, you know, parents saying, well, I don't want my kids to, to lift weights because they're going to get hurt. And he goes, if I bring 10 strong kids out onto the football field or I got 10 strong kids – we're in the wrestling team or soccer or whatever or baseball or some non-contact thing. You got 10 strong kids and you got 10 soft, weak kids. Who's going to get hurt? Okay, is it going to be the weak kids or the strong kids? I mean, this is, is absolutely common sense. And yes, you, there's a dichotomy to, to that statement. You don't go out and do a bunch of stupid things. But no lifting weights doesn't stunt kids growth okay that's been been debunked by people again a whole lot smarter than me i was going to be the short lifting or not yes <laughs> me, me too um so uh, on the young spectrum okay it's 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 never too early in my opinion to to start um making kids strong okay um and now there's a right and a wrong way to do that which is not the topic of this podcast all right, whether you're, you're you know, uh, now we're into the high school, college, you know, athletes. Okay, again, strength is never a weakness. Okay, if you can perform with the same skill sets and there's a version of you that's stronger and a version of you that's weaker, who's going to outperform the, the other person? Okay, and then sometimes it's not, it's, it's not even that I need to necessarily, I need the strength, you know, to produce better results I and mean, for me a lot of times it's and we see this right in, our, in the clinic chases you need to be stronger so you can actually stay on the court or stay on the pitch or stay on the mat okay injury prevention is such a huge thing with strength training okay a lot of times when we're working with athletes we're using things like like we're, we use conjugate in the strength program not because we're putting them in a deadlifting competition it's because we're we're, we're trying to let them to be able to express the, the highest version of, of, of themselves. And strength matters. Okay, and in the older population, you can look like, like, like at longevity studies and quality of life. And, you know, um, muscle mass and bone density and the ability to get off the floor are three things that are, like, significantly correlated to a poor end of life and actually um, lower lifespans. Okay, so, like... I don't care if you're three or you're 97, okay? You need to find a way and in in, in scale to wherever you are to maintain or get stronger. You need to be the strongest version of, you, of yourself because weak things break. And for me and Chase and, and, and you know, this, this, some, of, some of the strongest humans that ever walked on the earth, conjugate has been the way 
and yes, it can come across as intimidating. Yes, it's can it's a it's a bit complicated until you get through the weeds, and there's a learning curve to it. All right, and yes, it's difficult, but so are like all the shit I've done in my life that it has mattered and and has um, led to ultimate success and and achievement and joy are difficult. Okay, the juice is worth the squeeze. Okay, so. I know I speak for me and Chase both that we, we, we put our stamp of approval on, on, on the conjugate in the West Side. Um, please start looking into it if, if, if um, uh, you're at all interested and, 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 and want to give it a shot. Um, reach out to Chase. He, he gave you his information. Um, Chase, we can't thank you enough for, for, for being on here and, and, and uh, giving us a, a, the basic template. You, you and me both know there is a lot more that, that – um, can be dug into and with with conjugate, and we're gonna have you back on and and, and go a little bit deeper on this. But um, yeah, man, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. It's been uh, it's been cool being able to sit down and talk about all these things that run through my brain twenty four seven. Yeah. So guys, keep it simple. Get after it. Okay. Toughness wins. Consistency is king. Okay. Go be different. Go be the apex.